Morning, Live Center. How is everybody today? Man, it's good to see everybody here. It felt like a long time since we've been at church. Good to see everybody. So happy that you're here. If you're a guest, thank you so much for choosing to be with us today. There are many places you could be, but as I like to say, this is the best place to be. So thank you for being with us today. And I just, I got to say, um, I really just appreciate all the investment from people on our dream team to other folks that serve around here to make things possible. Thank you for what you do to make every Sunday uh, a time when people that that uh, perhaps don't know much about God, perhaps aren't familiar with church, whatever the case is, they get to come here and feel comfortable. If they have kids, they get to put their kids in a safe place. It's just, it's great. And, and um, knowing that you participate and serve in that capacity is awesome. And so thank you for that. It's hard to believe that we are already, we're well into January of 2019. It is, uh, we're looking at the end of January and we don't know what is going to happen this this uh, winter wonderland that is happening this weekend. I mean, I, I'm assuming that this time tomorrow we can skate everywhere we want to go because it's supposed to be an ice storm. Um, but fortunately, we're able to be here today, so it's, it's great. Um, and you know, typically how New Year rolls around, everybody makes resolutions. And I, I read somewhere where it says 80% of the resolutions made have failed by February. <laughs> so it's just <laughs> It's kind of interesting. It's just what we do, right? We make, uh, make uh, resolutions, and we try our best to keep them, and we make it to February, and we haven't even made it there. Uh, I read one poll. It asked 1,000 Americans, how many months is it reasonable to expect someone to keep a New Year's resolution? Well, the idea of a New Year's resolution is to keep it for a year, right? I think that's the, I think it's the goal. Um, so 94% say at least one month, and by December, less than 20 pe- 20% say that it's worth keeping. So Maybe we should just change them to January resolutions and, and all feel better about ourselves, right? I did it for January. I'm good to go. That's why we do 21 days of prayer and fasting in January. <laughs> right. <laughs> so um, if, you're, if you started on a New Year's resolution, good luck. We believe in you. You can do it. <laughs> Today we're going to continue our selfless series, and, and I'm excited about this one because it, you know, we're trying to, trying to deal with something that we all deal with, and that is self-centeredness and self-promotion and, you know, just taking care of ourselves and being a little selfish. And, and everybody has a tendency to be this way, right? We just, there's no one that's exempt. We all have a tendency to have this sort of internal struggle. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit today um, from a different angle. It's kind of interesting. I, I read a, a survey that said kids between the age of 16 through 17, so that's a pretty broad range there, but 34% of those people say they want to be YouTube celebrities. Um, and the only way to be a YouTube celebrity is to either really be like really horrific, so bad that people are like a train wreck they can't help but watch, or you just promote, you promote yourself until you get enough followers that you start getting some traction and then you become YouTube famous. I found out that there's a guy named Felix who is, this is fantastic, he's making $12 million a year. 12 million with the big M. Guess what he does? He plays video games on YouTube. <laughs> so the new job at the guidance counselor at school is this is how you learn YouTube, young man, young lady. Because <laughs> you can make a fortune. Obviously, um, culture is telling us that 
uh, self-promotion, self-centeredness. That's the way to build a brand, to build an identity, to become famous because, face it, everybody wants to be the GOAT, right? Everybody wants to be the greatest of all time. And we want to be recognized as making a mark and people following us. And we make, a, we make a lot of money because of it. And, you know, Jesus actually talked about being the greatest of all time. He talked about being the GOAT. But he just did it in a very, very different way. And he modeled something that was very, very contrary to our culture. And, yes, that's what we're going to talk about today. In fact, Jesus says that you can indeed be the greatest of all time. He just does it a different way in Matthew 23, verse 11. He says it this way, the greatest among you will be your servant. So I will go ahead and do this, right? This is going to get awkward and uncomfortable. So if you need to go get some coffee or just find a friend to meet in the foyer to avoid all this, you can do so. But the rest of you that are going to sit in here and ride with me on this one, you got to buckle the seatbelt because Jesus just has a way of breaking the status quo of, of facing our, our sort of natural tendencies and, and breaking it open and showing us a different way that is so much better than the way we think it should be done. So that's what we're going to do today. We'd ask this question, if, when people refer to you, what would they say your always is? What would they say your always is? I'll give you an example. In Acts chapter 9, there was a lady by the name of Tabitha. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. And it says this about her. She was always doing good and helping the poor. Her always was doing good and helping the poor. In fact, she was a seamstress by trade. She made clothes and she would sell clothes, but she made clothes for people that needed them. And she just gave stuff away. She gave clothes away. She just helped people. She just went around doing her normal life, looking for ways to do good. And so when people referred to Tabitha, they just said, she's always doing good and helping others. So that was her Always. In fact, her, her work in life must have been important to God because the woman died. And the apostle was there and prayed for her, and God raised her up from the dead. Pretty amazing, right? you got to go back to making some dresses. People need clothes. And so that miracle, obviously very significant miracle. It's not every day someone is dead and then they're not anymore. So that was a big deal. And, and the message of the gospel, many people in the community believed, but... Her always was not, you know, she's the best seamstress in town. Her always was, she was always going around giving to people, helping people. She was making a mark. So I ask you the question again, if people were referring to you, what would your always be? And I'm not talking about the always that you have in arguments, right? You always say that. You always look at me like, you all, and that's not the always I'm talking about. (laughs) I'm talking about a different kind of always, like he's always happy, you know, or... He's always doing nice things to people. He's always saying good things about God in his life. She always has an encouraging word every time I see her. She always gives the best hug. That's the always I'm talking. What would people say about you when it comes to your always? And Jesus modeled something. Jesus modeled a very different approach to becoming the greatest of all time. It wasn't self-promotion. It wasn't all the attention on me. Instead, it was a different approach And it was a lifestyle of service. It was a lifestyle of selflessness that gave to other people to build other people up. You know, the the thing about being a Christ Christ follower is not not just acts of service. It's not just we we do this because we have to. It's really more of an action that reflects who we are. When we're following Christ and we're trying to become more like Christ, 
It's his attributes that start to show up in us. That's why it's called the fruit of the spirit. It's something that hangs on this tree. The, the, the way I respond, the way I act, the way I treat other people, that's really what tells people about the Christ that you follow. I can throw a book at you. I can beat you over the head with a Bible, but that's not going to help you know Christ. What's going to help you know Christ is if I can model Christ, if I can follow his footsteps and begin to be the kind of man that he was to reveal to you there is something greater than what society is telling us. I don't have to promote myself if I'm following Christ and letting him do all of that for me. So what does it mean when he says that the greatest among you will be a servant? What does that even mean? We don't even really use the context, the word servant anymore. I mean, you know, we just, you think of somebody that you boss around and tell them to do all the things you don't want to do. I would love to have a servant at home. They would do things like take out the trash. They would do things like, my wife says, hey, I need you to go. I was like, servant, you go do what she said, right? I'm sitting here, yeah. That's servant business, right? But that's just so not where we are. It's not our lifestyle. But, but Jesus says there's something key about this selflessness. And, and the thing about this is you don't have to have a special resume for this to fit. Any person, anywhere, no special skills needed. Everybody can apply. Everybody can join. You don't have to have this certain skill set to be a servant other than a heart that's been affected by Jesus. I think that's really the only required ingredient. So Jesus shows us how we can be this kind of person, be this kind, have this kind of attitude, and not do anything different than what we do every day. Isn't that exciting? It's like a get-rich-quick scheme. I can show you how to make $10,000 a week not doing anything different than what you do today. Are you with me? <laughs> All right, awesome. Jesus is saying, look, I can show you how to be a servant. The greatest among you will be a servant to all. I'll show you how to do that, and you don't have to do anything different than what you do every day. So if you're taking notes, there's three simple things. This is easy. I love easy sermons. This is easy. Three simple things. It's this. Take a lunch, offer a ride, carry a towel. Look at your neighbor. Say, take a lunch, offer a ride, and carry a towel. All right, let's break these down. Take a lunch. So everybody, I'm just going to ask for a show of hands. How many know who King David is? Most everybody knows who King David is. He was the goat king of Israel, the greatest of all time. Like if you refer to any, you may not have any Bible knowledge at all, of, at all but someone says King David, you will have some flicker of, a, I think I know who that guy is. Something about a giant, you know, whatever. It became a phrase, you know, the David and Goliath right? It's just kind of a thing. We know the story. So many people know the story of David and Goliath. And so this David character in the Bible, he did not start out as an extreme warrior, right? Really what happened to David when he went and fought the giant and killed the giant and changed the course of history for Israel, it really didn't start because he was a giant slayer. I would venture to say that the reason why David is great is because David carried a lunch, what do you mean? I'm glad you asked. 1 Samuel chapter 17, one day Jesse, that's David's dad, said to David, take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread, carry them quickly to your brothers. I'll insert something here. His brothers were at war. They were the age of fighting and they were in a massive war with the Philistine army. They, they, they were constantly struggling. This was Hatfields and McCoys back in Bible days, right? There was just always war between the nation of Israel and the Philistine nation. And so they, were, they had been having a war for a long time. They were at a standoff, and the Philistines presented this massive guy. 
10 feet tall. Uh, the Bible talks about how heavy his spear was, the size of his helmet. This guy was massive. And basically, they said, you know what? We're tired of fighting wars. We're tired of killing people. Why don't we just stick this guy out there and anybody on Israel's side that feels brave enough can come take our giant out. And if you win, we'll all go home and you guys win. If we win, you're going to be our slaves forever. There goes that servant thing. That's the, that kind of slave, right? <laughs> and so this is the standoff that was happening. And so David was just sent by his dad to take a lunch basket to his brothers. And he said in verse 18, Give these ten cuts of cheese to their captain and see how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report of how they're doing. Now, I will speed up the rest of that story. Basically, David shows up. He's got lunch baskets. Here's the food. What's going on? You guys are just chilling out. You're not fighting. I thought I was going to watch some fighting happen. And, no, and here comes Goliath, you know, bellowing about how wonderful he is. And David's like, what's going on? How come you guys haven't like, you know, why aren't you home? We should have, this should have been done a long time ago. And the story goes, David goes out there. The king tries to give him armor. It doesn't fit. doesn't work. He's like, you know what? I'm taking my slingshot. I know what to do with the slingshot. Now, I did a little study and found out that these guys that were, that were sling bearers were actually, this was a weapon. It wasn't like a thing. It was an actual weapon. They used these in warfare. So David was not just, a, you know, he was not Dennis the Menace with the little, you know, the Y-shaped thing uh, out, out his back pocket. No, this was an, a legit weapon. So he picks his five smooth stones. He goes out into the battlefield, and he winds up, and he takes the giant out. And history's forever changed. And then people begin to chant his name as the greatest warrior of all time. But that's not what made him great, was it? What made him great was he was just obedient to his dad and took lunch to his brothers. He just had a different kind of heart. He had a different kind of heart. And then you can follow this. As David became king, you continue to see that same kind of heart Because he was the king that, before he became king, was serving King Saul. And King Saul was so jealous of him that he tried to kill him, but he continued to serve King Saul. And then he became king, and he became the champion of the underdog, always defending the weak one. That was just his heart. So it wasn't the giant killing that made him great. It was the fact that he took a lunch to his brothers that actually made him great. Take a lunch. Second one is offer a ride. This is a fascinating story to me. Jesus is about to enter Jerusalem. Things are, are ramping up to his crucifixion. All this kind of stuff is going on. A lot is happening in Jesus' world. And he's about to enter into Jerusalem. He sends a couple of his disciples to go and get a donkey. And the interesting thing about this is 553 years before this day, Zechariah prophesied that Israel's king would come into the city riding on a donkey. 553 years ago. That's pretty amazing, right? And so he sends these, he sends these uh, disciples on. I need you guys to go get a donkey. And Jesus, again, demonstrating what a heart of a servant looks like. I, I can pretty much guarantee that if I was in, in that day, if we were to transport there and we were, to, we were to see how kings traveled, pretty much guarantee it wasn't on a donkey, right? It'd be like the president coming into town and he's driving a Honda Accord, Instead of the beast that he rides in, right? That's not how it works. It's not how it works now. It's not how it worked then. But the king of kings, he didn't need any self-promotion. He was showing us a different model, a different example. And so he sends his disciples into town to get a donkey. It's fascinating. It's in Luke chapter 19. The disciples, they're listening to Jesus. Jesus says, look, we're going to Jerusalem. I want you to go into the city 
and I want, they'll find a donkey tethered to a fence. Just go take the donkey. And they're like, people get hung for stealing horses. I'm sure you get in trouble for stealing donkeys. What do we do about this? He's like, just tell them the master needs it. Okay. You know, these guys have seen Jesus do some strange things. This is right up there with the top 10. So off they go and they get to the place where they see the donkey, just how Jesus described it. It's tied to the fence. It's a young donkey. It's never really been ridden before. And here it is. And so they walk over and they just start untying the the the, the strap and they're about to walk off with somebody's donkey and somebody says, hey, yo, what are you doing? And in verse nine, uh, 34 of Luke chapter 19, this is what they said. The Lord needs it. <laughs> I'm going to try that. <laughs> I'm going to go to Best Buy. I'm going to get that 55 inch. I'm going to walk out and say, the Lord needs it. <laughs> and we're going to see, <laughs> y'all be reading about me in the newspaper. We'll find out how that works. This is no, you know, the Jedi mind trick. These are not the men you're seeking. That wasn't what was happening here. There was something that was unfolding here, and, and it's really interesting because there's so many things that the Bible doesn't really describe, doesn't tell the story about the donkey owner. It doesn't tell us that he had a donkey farm. It doesn't say that he had you know, fleets of donkeys. It just said that there's this person who says, what are you doing with my donkey? Uh, the, the Lord needs it. Okay, take the, take the donkey. So there's kind of a bigger side of this story that's unfolding. Forget the miraculous stuff of someone prophesying it 553 years ago. Forget all of that stuff. Just what about this individual who owns the donkey? There was never a question about how it's getting paid for. There was never a negotiation taking place. Did they own one donkey or 100 donkeys? It doesn't say anything about that. But it shows a picture of a servant's heart. If the Lord needs it, he can have the donkey. I'm not worried about it even coming home. If the Lord needs it, he can... If the Lord needs my skill to do this, then he can have it. If the Lord needs something that I can offer, then the Lord can have it. It's a major shift in how society tells us to operate. It's a major shift in how we tend to operate. I mean, maybe you have a a great connection with kids, and all the parents that have kids upstairs are like, I hope there's a lot of those in the room. But upstairs today, there's somebody that says the Lord needs it, so he has it. I'm going to take care of other people's kids because they need someone to love on them while parents are down there trying to get their life all fixed, right? Whatever gift, skill, I told you, you don't have to have any special set of skills. You don't have to be the taken guy. You don't have to have a special set of skills. I will find, you don't have to have that. You can just be you and who you are and what you are able to do every day. There are times when you'll just get a gentle tap on the shoulder and the Lord is saying, I just need what you have. And that's a servant's heart. Just offer a ride. Just be who God has called you to be. And lastly is this, carry a towel. This story is incredible. I think it's probably the the single, in the scripture, it's the single clearest picture of this kind of life modeled by the master. Jesus is celebrating the Passover feast with his disciples, and this, this event is going to, be, to come to be known as the Last Supper. You and I know it's the Last Supper. The disciples had no idea. They thought they were just celebrating Passover. Jesus was telling them, look, I'm about to, there's about to be some significant things happen. I'm about to give my life away. And they didn't quite understand it. They just thought they were having the Last Supper and they were all together. I'm sorry, they thought they were just having Passover feast. But as it turns out, it was indeed Jesus' Last Supper. And it's kind of amazing. In John's account of this event, he takes a minute to write something down that I'm going to read you that I find fascinating. Because when John wrote this down, it wasn't when it was happening. He journaled this later. He wrote his perspective later. And so it's interesting when you read this passage In in chapter 13, verse 1, look how John starts writing. He says, It was just before the Passover festival 
Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world. They didn't understand that then. That's how come I know he was writing this later. Because it was after the events unfolded that he started to capture it all. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to his father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I, I find this interesting that he writes that line there. Because as we go through this story a little bit, you'll understand the significance of that statement when you understand the greater story. It's, it's fascinating. I love it. So here's the scene around the table, right? This is Passover festival was a big deal for the Jewish tradition. It was a big, big deal. It's when they were delivered from Egypt. And this was, a, this was a, a, an event that they celebrated every year. They sat around the table. They had certain things they ate. It was just a big deal. It's a big deal. Sitting around the table and conversations happening, you know, table talk. And, and one disciple leans over to another one and says, Dude, I just, I, who do you think out of all 12 of us, who do you think is like going to be the, the you know, when, when Jesus finally sets up his kingdom and he's got the big throne, like who do you think is going to sit on the junior throne right beside him? Pretty sure. I mean, I mean, look at all the stuff I've been doing for the last three and a half years. Clearly, and then this whole, you don't believe that I'm not making this up. This is in the Bible. Just not all the filler words. This story is in the Bible. So, so I can just imagine like Peter's like, dude, I clearly get the spot. Not one of you walked on water. And then the other guy's like, dude, you lasted like two steps and fell. That doesn't count. And he's like, you were cowering in the boat. No, no, that still doesn't count. And then, you know, another guy pipes up John. He's like, guys, everybody knows that Jesus loves me best. You know, just read my gospel that I'm about to write. And it says in there a lot about how much he loved me more than everybody else. And then and they're chattering and Bartholomew's like, well, well. Y'all don't even know Bartholomew's a disciple, did you see? He didn't have anything. He was like, I'm never going to sit at that seat. I'm always going to be the guy in the back room. So this conversation is going on, and Jesus is not oblivious to it. It's chattering. He's not, he's not shutting them up. He's saying, you know, just carry on. He'd already addressed this before. They already had this conversation before. One of, their, one of these, this set of guys, uh, their mom came to Jesus and said, you know, Master, when you become all rich and famous, will you please make sure my two boys are taken care of? And he's like, okay, I got you. Don't worry about it. So this is a constant thing, and Jesus just slips away from the table. He takes off his outer garment. He wraps a towel around his waist. He gets some water in a bin, and he goes over to begin to wash one of the disciples' feet. See, what Jesus was seeing was proud hearts and dirty feet. Proud hearts and dirty feet. The culture of that day, he wore sandals. It was dusty, dirty. When you came to someone's house, you took your sandals off, and a servant, not the person who invited you to dinner, one of their servants came, washed your feet, and ushered you into the house. Well, they didn't have a servant. You know, they're borrowing a, a room for the Passover. They didn't have a servant. So, so nobody got their feet washed, right? And so everybody's just, okay, we can deal with this. No big deal. Just keep your feet under the table where no one sees them. No one really cared, but Jesus saw proud hearts and dirty feet. And so he just, he doesn't say anything. He just gets his bin his basin, and he goes to the first disciple, and he's busy telling about how great his exploits were, and all of a sudden, he's feeling water on his feet, and he looks down, and this is like breaking protocol. This does not happen. We've spent three and a half years following a rabbi, a leader. He's the greater one of us in this room. You're not allowed to wash my feet, and he's like, just chip, 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 chip. Peter gets all mouthy. You can't wash my feet. He's like, chip, if you want to be part of my kingdom, Hush and let me wash your feet. And so he washes their feet. 
And their minds are, at this point, they, they stop the chatter. All of a sudden, the seat beside the big throne doesn't matter so much anymore, right? Feeling kind of stupid right now. <laughs> like, really, I was worried about that. And they just, they stop. And he's going around, he's washing their feet. And, and I, you know, who wants to wash feet? I mean, my, my daughter, Sierra, she's got this thing about feet. She cannot stand feet. Like, it ooks her out. So she, I don't know if she could ever do this. <laughs> she just, the whole, the whole deal was just unnerving. And, and there's quiet now, and they don't understand what's happening. And then Jesus starts to talk. The 12th uh, verse of that chapter, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his robe again and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. Well, you wash my feet. <laughs> they, they didn't know. And he says this in, in verse 13, you call me teacher and you call me Lord, and that's correct, for that is what I am. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. And verse 15 is powerful. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And he doesn't stop there. He takes it one step further. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know this, now that you know this, now that I have showed you the complete polar opposite of culture, now that I have showed you what it really means to be the greatest among you, now that I really have revealed, I've pulled back the curtain and show you, shown you what it means to be the goat, I have shown you something now that you have seen it. Now that I've set an example for you, if you do this, you'll really be blessed. Hold on a second. Time out. This is not how we're taught. In fact, when you called me three and a half years ago to follow you, I was banking on the fact that you were the Messiah. In fact, I was banking on the fact that you were the Messiah and you were about to kick the Romans out of Jerusalem and you were going to move into the big house and guess who was moving in with you? Like, I was banking on a very different kingdom. You guys, we don't understand the dynamic of what the Jewish people were looking for when they were looking for the Messiah. They did not look for a man that was going to show them how to lay down his life for people that were lost. They were not looking for one that was going to teach them about turning the other cheek. They were looking for a warrior. They were looking for someone that was going to ride into Jerusalem, completely dispel the Roman Empire, and establish the throne of David in all of its glory again. They did not understand what Jesus was doing. It was the opposite of everything they believed in and hoped for. But instead, he was showing them a different way. Again, with the selflessness. I wonder what it must have been like for those 12 men, 11 men after Judas left. I wonder what it must have been like for them after those events of the crucifixion took place and they were sitting around together again. And you know how we do. We think about things. You know how you get stuck in a loop? You know, oh, I should not have said that and that's all you hear. You just repeating that. Imagine them sitting around the room thinking, man, we were arguing over who was gonna be, who was gonna be the greatest in the kingdom. And man, Jesus just, man, now he's dead. Now he just completely gave his life. We just didn't understand what was going on. And then later, whenever John takes out his quill and ink and he begins to write, now do you understand the first verse that he writes? He loved us to the end. In spite of our stupidity, 
in spite of our selfishness, in spite of our just not getting it, in spite of the fact that we just weren't connecting, in spite of the fact that one of the 12 was going to betray him, in, in spite of all that he loved us to the very end. There is, there is a beauty in the way Christ explains the message of hope. There is a beauty in the simplicity of the gospel. He does not require much at all of us to be saved. All he asks for us to do is realize that there's a God, it's not us, and to ask that God to forgive us of our sins, be buried in water as as an outward expression of that faith, and then follow him. It's not complicated. But I tell you what is complicated is really trying to be a Christ follower. That's complicated. This doesn't make sense to my natural way of thinking. My natural way of thinking is I've got to look out for number one because nobody else is, right? I've got to make sure I've got my ducks in a row because nobody else is watching my back. I've got to make sure that my world is taken, that I'm okay, that I'm promoting myself, that I'm making sure my boss recognizes. All these self-centered things, ideologies that we live by. Jesus says there's something different. I can show you the better way. You want to be the goat? Then learn how to be the servant to all. You want to be the greatest of all time? Then learn how to wash feet of someone that's just a barely a friend of yours or maybe a companion of yours or maybe a stranger. Give to someone that will never give in return. Love someone that will never love in return. Care for someone that doesn't care a hoot about you. That's what it looks like to be the greatest of all time. Hoot is a Carolina thing. (laughs) You see, Life Center believes in this. We believe we're called to be Christ followers. And we believe that Christ followers are called to make a difference. In fact, that's where you end up. When, When you lead someone to know Christ, and then you help them find freedom, and they realize that they actually do have a purpose in this life, where they end up is making a difference. And you make a difference by being a Christ follower. You make a difference by not promoting yourself, but looking for ways. The, the life of a Christ follower is, is, is found and identified by just the, the, the acts of service that are just part of who we are. It's not what we do, it's just who we are. Because he said the servant's not going to be greater than the master. And if he sees proud hearts and dirty feet and takes care of the dirty feet, what do we do? What are we supposed to do? we would have had a big dialogue about how their attitudes were wrong. We'd have had a big theological debate over who really should be greatest. We'd have had this big dissertation over how how pride had entered their heart and mind. And Jesus just says, you know what? You guys keep talking. I'll show you a better way. I'll model for you a better way. And every one of those men that sat at that table, you read through the book of Acts, when they begin to, to plant the first churches These men totally got that lesson. They understood because they turned their world upside down because their life was completely inverted into a life of service. They were the first couple of disciples that were spreading the message of the gospel and they prayed for a guy who was healed and and they started getting in trouble by the religious leaders and they they got flogged and they got put in jail overnight. They get back home and they were excited, the Bible says, that they were able to be considered worthy to suffer for Jesus, And so when they get together, they start talking about how exciting this is. And there's so many people that are hungry and ready to hear the gospel. And, and they're so pumped. They pray, God, just give us boldness to keep serving. Forget about the people that are telling us we can't do it. Just give us boldness to keep serving. 
We don't do what we do because we have to. There's usually fresh coffee in the foyer because someone has a heart to serve. There are people in this congregation that feed hungry people. They help others fight addictions. They're good neighbors because they have hearts of service. Somebody in a bright neon sweatshirt helped you park your car. Not just something we do, but it reflects who we are. There are folks upstairs loving on your kids because they value service more than convenience. The worship team up here, two weeks ago, Saturday night, there was a picture of of Pastor Jason jamming on his bass all by himself, getting ready for today. They got here early because that's the lifestyle of a servant. What can I do? can I do your normal life just flip it upside down and instead of looking at it through what can this bring me what can this do for you how can this help you how can I be a good neighbor like State Farm Matthew chapter 25 says this when the son of man comes in his glory this is why this is important and all the angels are with him he will one day sit on the glorious throne All the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates, watch this, the sheep from the goats. I don't even know if they knew what goats acronym was back then, but they put it in there. And it makes perfect sense. The Bible is pretty amazing. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. You don't ever want to be on the left. That's not a good thing in this context. On the left... Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And they're like, Yes, this is awesome. And then he continues to talk. He says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me. I needed clothes, you clothed me. I was sick, you looked after me. I was in prison, you came to visit me. And verse 37 is amazing because the people that he's talking to, They don't understand. They're completely lost. They say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirst and gave you a drink? When were you a stranger and all? When when did we ever see that happen? And he says this, the king replied, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it to me. That is the perfect picture We don't serve because of, watch me. We don't serve because of who we're serving. I don't do this because God is watching. I do this because there are hurting hearts, there are dirty feet, there are hungry bellies, there are lonely faces, because that's what Jesus modeled. Right? He didn't do this serving in front of everyone. He did it in quiet, close to the people that he was close to. If you're doing acts of service because God is watching, then you've missed the whole idea. In fact, you're doing it the way the society teaches us to do it. It's an act of self-promotion. I want to be recognized for what I'm doing. When that paradigm shifts, 
then we can be like the people he described when he's like, man, you guys are going to be blessed because of all the things you did for me. I don't remember doing anything for you. I just, I just saw people that had needs and, and did what I could do to help. I just lived my, I was just like Tapitha. I'm a clothes maker, so I'm giving clothes away. You know, I'm a mechanic. I'll change your oil. I'm whatever you're, what, what, I just did what I was, I was just looking for places to do good for people. Just helping out. Just, and he, the king is like that. Is exactly it. That is what Jesus modeled. That was the example he gave us. That was him showing us what it means to be a selfless, a servant, a heart that gives. When people refer to you, what would they say your always is? Father, I thank you so much for your presence that's here today. I thank you, God, because this room is filled with people that give. They give of their time. They give of their talents. They give of their treasure. God, I thank you because you've, you've created a community here at Life Center of people that just, they love, they love the idea, the thought of helping people that are broken and in need. God, and the beauty of your message, the beauty of the gospel is you don't have to be all together to get it. You don't have to have your life in perfect order to be a recipient. You just have to acknowledge it. You just have to open a heart up. You just have to accept this gift that you give. God, you've called every one of us. You've given us all so many blessings. You've given us so many things, talents and skills and abilities. God, I pray that you would help us not to be caught up in a culture that drives on self-promotion and who can step out in front of who and what rung I can get to the ladder fastest. None of that stuff applies to your kingdom. But instead, you showed us a different path. You modeled a different path for us. And it's a path that says, you know what? I don't need to be chasing recognition. Instead, I see a hurting heart and I just want to love that hurting heart. I see dirty feet that just need to be cleaned. I see a hungry belly that just needs food. I see a person that's addicted, locked in a chain, and I have a key. I see someone that just needs a friend, and I can be a friend. I see someone that just doesn't have hope, and I have hope. Thank you, God, for your great mercy that you give us every day. In Jesus' name. Would you stand with me today? I don't mean to end on such a somber note. But I really hope that in 19, when we're, when we're charting our, our path for this year and we're, we're looking into the future and we're, we're planning what we're going to be and what improvements we're going to make, I really hope that, that this idea of selflessness begins to percolate in us and begins to, to kind of churn in us because every one of us in this room, what would it be? Just imagine with me. What would it be if every one of us in this room made an, a, a conscious effort to return kindness when we're given something not so kind? What would it be if we, in our jobs, refused to be the gripey person? And we, we saw people that were struggling and, and we were the one given the helping hand. What, what would it be like if we just looked for ways no matter how small, no matter how big, to just be a light in darkness. And let me help you understand that being a light in darkness is not yelling the name of Jesus from a mountaintop so people can hear it. It's being a Christ follower where we live. It's showing people that when you should be furious and angry, you bite your tongue and you let it go. When you should hold a grudge because they did you wrong, 
you forgive and turn away. When, when you've been mistreated and you love anyway. Those are the things that change the world. That's the salt Jesus is talking about when he says we're the salt of the earth. That's the light he's talking about when he, he says we're light in the darkness. We don't need theology, folks. The world does not need theology. Lost people, hopeless people don't need theology. They need Jesus lived with them where they are, right? And that's what you and I are called and so blessed to be able to live out. We get to do this because he loved us in spite of who we are.